0: Our Old Testament lesson today comes from Genesis 21. If you will rise, we will read it together. You can find this on page 15 of your pew Bible. And uh, Genesis 21, uh, beginning in verse 22, may not be the most exciting passage you've heard all week. But it's God's word and we need to hear it today. And so, we will begin, as I said in verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham had reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said. These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me, that I dug this well. Therefore the place was called Beersheba, because both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. If you'll join me in praying the prayer for illumination printed in your worship bulletin. Our Father, we have heard wonderful things out of thy word. We praise you for revealing Christ by promise and shadow in these pages. Help us to understand these words for thy namesake. sake. Amen.
1: For the reading of the New Testament, we turn to 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 17. If you're reading out of the uh, Pew Bible, like I am, you'll find it on page 965. So starting at verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing, to one, at, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Please join me for the prayer of understanding found in your bulletin. Our Father, we have heard wonderful things out of thy word. We praise you for revealing Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and ask you to give us your spirit so that we may understand the fullness of your truth. Amen.
0: You may be seated. If we were talking after the service and I asked you what you were doing this next month, what's, what's in the pipeline for you and your family? Uh, and you at the same time knew that, you know, your car's safety inspection is coming up. You might, you might mention it. Among all the hopes and dreams of the month, you might say, well, you know, I, I have to take my car to the mechanic sometime this month. It's a big hassle. You'd hardly mention that you'd have to sign paperwork. You wouldn't be like, well, I've got to go to the mechanic and I've got to get this and and I'm going to have to do some paperwork to get the inspection sticker. That's not generally how we speak. And life is is not predictable. Um, If we went back to chapter 12, when Abraham received the promise of God, he'd probably, if we asked him, not include this episode, or, or many of the episodes, rather, that he goes through. When he hears, Abraham, go, take your family, get out of Ur of the Chaldees, he probably would say, yeah, I'm going to go to Canaan, everything will be all right. He wouldn't talk about all the waiting. He wouldn't outline Sodom and Gomorrah for us, all these things that happened in his life. He might outline for us, you know, well, over the next few years, I'm probably going to have to make some covenants. It's kind of analogous. It's an ordinary thing, making these covenants. It's serious, but it's a necessary part of life. Abraham here in this passage is doing something kind of mundane. He's making a contract. It seems uh, not fitting for the grandeur of the story of Abraham as we've come to know it. And it is ordinary. It is, in a sense, mundane. But this is also a part of God's story in which Abraham is, is caught up God is underlining here for us through Moses writing Genesis. This part of the story as well was worth including. It's essential and ordinary. God is underlining here for us things He's already said about Moses and preparing us for where, about Moses, about Abraham, and preparing us for where we're about to go in the story. Our attention is being drawn to this piece here. So where, where are we? Well, last we heard, last week, right? Isaac was born, he was weaned, Ishmael was cast off, he comes down by Beersheba, one of the first times the name appears is in saying, Ishmael and Hagar settle near this area. And so God has blessed Abraham with two sons, but he's blessed him with the promised son, Isaac, promised and chosen. Through him, Abraham's offspring will be reckoned. And just before that, Abraham had a run-in with Abimelech. Right? We remember that story. Abraham sells his wife into Abimelech's harem to try and ironically keep them safe. But in reality, God keeps them safe by keeping His promise to Abraham. I'll bless those who bless you. I will curse those who make light of you. And so we've seen Abimelech before. He's this king in Gerar, and Gerar is the word for sojourning. So he's this, this sojourning area king. Um, and we heard in this passage, right, he went to the land of the Philistines. But that's a bit of a, an anachronism. The Philistines aren't in the land yet. It's reminding people this is the area he's in, and it's just called Gerar, the sojourning area. That's where Abram, Abraham was. We don't know a whole lot. His name may even be a title. Abimelech means my father is king. It's very common. David will go uh, sojourn amongst uh, Akish in, in Philistia. And in Psalm 34, which we'll sing today, he's called Abimelech. Abraham sojourned with Abimelech. David sojourned and made himself appear crazy to an Abimelech, perhaps a title. So we know, we know these people, there's been an interaction before. Abraham has finally reach that status of having the promised son, and so we come to this story. And so we're going to look at three things today. If you're a note taker, here's the chance to really outline what what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about Abraham making this covenant. We're going to talk about the place of this covenant, how it fits into Abraham's story, and we're going to talk about Abraham's comfortable life in the coming conflict just a little bit. But to start, we're going to talk about this covenant and the issues, right, that led to the need for a covenant. So, one of the first things we realize, right, what does Abimelech say, right, Abimelech comes to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Swear to me here that you'll be faithful. And so, Abimelech understands that he needs to be on Abraham's good side. He wants to define his relationship to Abraham. He understands that it could be a dangerous enemy, right? Remembering back to that other story, all the wombs in Abimelech's house were closed because he did something poorly to Abraham, unknowingly even. Abraham was dwelling among them in their land. We see that there had been conflict over a well. For Abimelech, this is a particularly dangerous situation. He doesn't want to find himself on the wrong side of Abraham. And so he tries to get ahead of that. He tries to get ahead of another issue coming down the pipe. I don't want Abraham and me to have conflict and and another bad thing happen. And so he figures the best way is to make it official. We were friends. We're gonna have a covenant. And Abraham gets something out of this too. He wants to be more stable in the land. It's hard for us, it's hard for me, to imagine the life of a nomad a nomadic shepherd in the ancient world. Uh, Abraham had some livestock, he had some people, he dwelled in tents. He moved around Canaan. We notice as we go through this story, he lives for long periods of time in certain places, but he never has a lasting city. There's never this moment where, well, Abraham founded this city and he lived there and he was king there. He's just a sojourner. He's almost permanently camping in tents. And this surely had many logistical difficulties, right? One of the things about Beersheba that we'll come to see in a little bit is that it's very south. It's in the desert. It's not the place you necessarily want to bring your flocks, where there's not that much grass, there's not that much water. And so Abraham gets some water rights, right? He negotiates for water in this land with the king. There's nothing more necessary in the desert than water. Abraham is trying to get what he needs. And so we see this covenant. Abimelech comes to him, and Abraham seems to make something of a counteroffer. Yes, Abimelech, I'll swear. In the original language, it's emphatic. I will surely swear this. Like, I'll do it. But there's something I need, too. And so Abimelech is not only trying to to codify his relationship, set up the parameters with Abraham legally, he's also somewhat attempting to be a superior. He comes and he says, Abraham, God is with you. Swear. Swear to me. It's an, an imperative. Swear to me now. Let's make this official. We also see one of the things that's included for us is Phicol, the commander of his armies. Abimelech doesn't come alone. He doesn't come by himself. He comes with a military accompaniment. Abraham, it's time. It's time that you swear to me. And he asks an oath of loyalty, faithfulness. Abraham, you're not going to rebel against me. You recognize my kingship. He's asserting himself as worthy of Abraham's loyalty. I've dwelt kindly with you. You do the same with me. He's not been oppressive or hostile but he's trying to assert somewhat his rights here as king. And Abraham very wisely makes a counteroffer, as I've already mentioned. Abimelech has to make an oath too. This is not a one-sided transaction. He sees this opportunity. Abimelech is coming now because of what has happened before. He realizes that God is with him. And so Abraham has to swear, but so should the king. And so Abraham does swear his oath to this king with an addendum, with a caveat. They have to cut the covenant. They have to swear together. It's no longer a one-sided thing. And so we see that they they split animals, right? This is a common covenant sign in the Old Testament. Um, In the Old Testament, you don't make a covenant, you cut it. That's the word. And by doing this, it's as if the two parties are saying, if I break my piece of this... I'll be cut in half too. It's it's collateral with one's own life. It's taking these agreements as a life or death matter, which when it comes down to water in the desert or potential war, these are life and death matters. And then we see these these seven uh, lambs, the ewe lambs, set aside as a witness, right? They're a payment of sorts, a witness that Abraham owns the well. Abimelech can look out and go, those are that flock that Abraham gave me. He owns a piece of my land. He has rights to that well that he dug. A full number, seven, is given. And so now, Abraham is not only allowed to sojourn here freely, but he has a right to a certain area. He can water his flocks in one place in Beersheba. So the two of them swear. They make this agreement. Things are good. And then we hear, again and again, I've mentioned, this is Beersheba. Um, 'er Beersheba is a major place. There's still a modern city of Beersheba, and the ancient site, most people believe, is kind of near the modern city. It's south and kind of west, if we think of Jerusalem, south and west. It's pretty far south. Throughout the Old Testament, it'll talk about from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. All of Israel, from this point to this point. It's as far south as you get and still be in the land. And all throughout the story, there are these little, little indications that this is what we're talking about. And there, are, there are puns in the original language. Um, first, the air is well. It's the word well. And so we hear that there's a dispute over beer. But then there's also this covenant, which you swear. You swear a covenant. And the verb is Shiva, Sheba. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just that this is the place of swearing, which is what we get. But there's another homonym. Seven is Sheba. And so the seven lambs are set aside. And we hear, we hear all throughout this story, the well, Sheba, Sheba, in different forms. And then finally, oh, this is Beersheba. This is that major city. This is where it comes from. Abraham made a well there. Right? The patriarchs in the coming stories, Isaac. Jacob. They will return again and again. It is from here that Jacob leaves to go to Egypt. And so Abraham is dwelling in this land. He's, he's starting to carve out a place for himself. He has a promised son, and he covenants with a, a local king who recognized God's blessing on him it's bad for Abimelech to be on Abraham's bad side. It's good for him to be on his good side. And so they enter into a common legal agreement. This is a, a covenant, but it's, it's a contract. It's, it's pretty normal. We sign these when we purchase a house. We sign these when we purchase cars. Lots of paperwork. Abraham, as a shrewd negotiator, turns this towards his own advantage. And it's easy, moving to our second point about the place in the story of Abraham, to forget why this is important. It's easy to forget chapter 12 and what God had promised to Abraham. Not only that blessing and curse, which I've already alluded to, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who make light of you, or the blessing of all the families of the earth, right? Maybe Abimelech wants in on that. Those who are friends with Abraham, they get blessed. But also, Abraham is promised a people, a place, offspring, promised seed, and land. And he now, he has that promised seed. Maybe he started thinking, it's time for me to get more stable. Maybe I need to stop moving around. Maybe he's starting to look for an earthly home. But he would live his life, his children would live their lives as sojourners, There would not be a king in the city until Saul and David. He's stabilized, but he's still living in tents. It's a place where his son and grandson will return to in tents. They're still not in a city. Abraham has been promised a place after the sojourn, after slavery in Egypt, but not yet and not now. We have seen Abraham, the sojourner, he's been blessed by Abimelech, he's been blessed by Pharaoh, he's doing really well. He has a lot of money, he has a lot of flocks, he's he's dangerous. (laughs) People want him to make covenant with them. He's able in chapter 18 to offer this massive, substantial feast. Even though he's a sojourner, he's pretty well off for a nomad, and he digs this well puts down a little bit of roots. And I've never done this, and I'm sure Abraham had servants do this. Digging a well does not seem easy. It seems like a pretty big commitment to an area. I'm going to be around here for a while. If you dig down and dig a well, I once had to dig up a dead tree. It wasn't a massive tree, but it was enough. I I would not want to be one of these well-digging servants. He's invested. It's necessary. He's settling somewhat. And after this, we see him make further moves in this way. He plants a tree. Some think this might be cultic, right? He's planting a tree as part of building an altar. We know that Abraham's not always up to Moses' standards of following the law. But at the very least, he does Stop there after this mundane covenant and he worships the Lord. Right? He called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. He's stable enough to worship, to stop after this ordinary, normal thing, build an altar there. In short, Abraham is reaching the peak of his stability. He's not going to be more stable than this. He has his promised seed. He has a place, he has a well in some sense, he has rights to be there, though he doesn't own the property. He's as settled as he's gonna get. And we could see the sunset on Abraham's story here. You know, if you're reading the Abraham story for the first time and you turn to chapter 21, you go, he dwelled many days in the land of the Philistines. That's a good end to the story. Turn to the next chapter, we'll hear about Isaac's story as he grows up. That's not what we get. We get the sacrifice of Isaac. But before we get to that, and we talk about that briefly, I want us to think a little bit about how this is included in God's Word, an ordinary contract, part of Abraham's story. The mundane is not mundane. The ordinary is important. Abraham has done something difficult by his shrewdness. He's made a contract better. He's waiting. He's an example, right? We're stuck here in the ordinary, a lot like Abraham. We have to make contracts. We don't get the word of the Lord like he does. We live a lot of our lives in passages like this. Well, I was living here, and I had to buy a car, and I had to sign these papers, I had to put up collateral. We live in an ordinary time. That does not prevent extraordinary things from happening, like God calling us in worship. After this ordinary thing, that's what Abraham does. He worships. And living in the ordinary is what you and I have been called to do. We have to think about the fact that not only did he place Abraham here and record for us this treaty, but he placed us where we are. He's given us ordinary needs. We have bills to pay, mouths to feed. If only our own, we still have to attend to our daily bread. We have needs. And even in this mundane, normal thing, Abraham stops, worships, God is with him, God is blessing him. One of my favorite uh, novelists is Frederick Buechner, And in one of his novels, one of his characters reflects, I have a feeling it's the in-between times, the times that narratives like this, he's writing this, leave out, and that the memory in general kind of loses track of, which are times when souls are saved or lost. Most of us probably feel most of the time that things are ordinary or mundane. I have a terrible memory. I have a terrible time keeping up with things that aren't facts or written down. There's a lot of things that I'm just not going to remember that are very important. It's important to get up and remember who we are, remember our place in God's story as we go about normal, ordinary things. We're not Abraham. We're not revealed certain things like he was that directed his life, but even Abraham spent much time waiting, praying, seeking his own way. Most of Abraham's days, he lived an ordinary life like this. We get a glimpse of it here. And our place in God's extraordinary story is to be his people, to come to worship, to hear his word for us, that God addresses us today To live again an ordinary pattern of the Christian life. One of the things that this story has caused me to reflect on is the fact that we are a part of God's story, that our ordinary, everyday lives are as we are His people. When we come together today, we enter into God's presence, we become aware of our sins, and we confess. We hear God's gospel, His forgiveness of sins pronounced for us. We begin to show our gratitude at this table, in our works and love toward one another, in our support for the ministry of the church, to our support of fellow members. And that ordinary thing, that ordinary rhythm that we do weekly here, that flows into our lives, is beginning to shape us into something heavenly and extraordinary, into the image of our own Savior, Abraham could have really messed this up. It doesn't seem like he did. Things don't always go as planned, but here Abraham uses wisdom to grasp at some of God's promises, and it's not condemned. And so we come to this this coming challenge, right? Abraham's story isn't over like we might think it is. Abraham's blessed. He's got a measure of Land. He's got a measure of, of, stability with his children. But God will then come in the next verse. After these things, God tested Abraham, and said to Abraham. And, and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham replies, Here I am. One word, Hineni. Here I am. I'm ready. And now it's a challenge. It's a test. There's a sacrifice coming. God is going to ask Abraham if he's willing to give up this stability. And once again, in a way that we are not, Abraham is called out of his ordinary and mundane life by a direct revelation from the Lord. Abraham's stability, his children's stability, is going to go through many twists and turns, right? Abraham has the sacrifice of Isaac, the next story, but if we think about Isaac, or Jacob, or Joseph, it's hardly a straight line from there to being back in the land. They have far from charmed lives. The promises of God do not mean that their lives don't go through difficult times. Jacob will work for 14 years to marry two women. He has to kind of flee and escape from his father-in-law. Jacob has far from a charmed life. Then he loses his son. His son goes down to Egypt, but he believes him to be dead. God's people, our story goes through many ups and downs. It continues through the Old Testament. It's hardly a straight line to King David or Solomon. It's hardly a straight line after that. This old world keeps twisting and turning. But much like the story of Abraham is not over here, our lives hold for us more things than we can see, untold joys and sorrows. And I don't mean this in a cliche sense of, your story's not over. There is some truth in that, and we'll come back to it. But what we can rest in is that our stories of difficulty, our stories of joy, are not an indication of God being with us Are not with us. He is the author, he is our father, The promise is that he works things for our good, even the mundane things, even getting up in the morning, even the hard things, being in the hospital, loss. That part of our story is not something outside of God's control or outside of his plan. His gospel means that we trust that he is almighty God and faithful Father. He is working these things for our good. And so it's important that we find ourselves in the story as God's people. The truth of that cliche, that God's story, that our story isn't over, and our sorrows are are caught up, is that they're caught up as His people. When we experience hard things, we experience them knowing that God is our Father, that He has made promises that will be true, even as we go through hard things now, right? One of the favorite promises that he makes in Revelation and and before that in Isaiah is that he will wipe tears away. That seems to mean that his people's lives will have twists and turns, like this coming challenge for Abraham. And we may not see it. We may be at the point where we think our story is, is kind of over. Well, I've got stability. I've got everything God promised me. But God is with us even in those challenging things. And to close, I would like us to think together, I'd like to remind you, right, that much like God blessed Abraham with a people and a place, God gave Abraham an outline of his story, though it wasn't a full outline, God has blessed Jesus with a people and a place. And he's way more stable than Abraham, right? The place is the heavenly kingdom which cannot be shaken, where he sits on the throne And we'll sit for eternity. And his people that he has been given currently are pilgrims, sojourning, right? Making their way to the heavenly city. But we shouldn't think of that primarily as negative. This is why we read 2 Corinthians. How does Paul describe it there? It's a victory procession. We are the aroma of the victory of Christ. We're we're a throng. We're a triumphal band. Even in our difficult parts of our lives. We know who we are. We know where the victory is. We know who our king is. We're a triumphal parade. We're a victory parade. And so people, when they see these things in our lives, when they see us as this triumphal parade heralding a king of the world to come, they, they join in. Right? What does Paul say? It's it's the fragrance of life to some, the fragrance of death to others. But that is our part in God's story to be his people the people that God has given to Christ. And where are we going? We're going to the city that Abraham was going to, the one without foundations, whose builder and founder is God. And our lives may look mundane at times. They may look very challenging and full of sorrows or very wonderful, full of joy. But we know that we're progressing to untold joy, right? We have this pledge, Christ is in heaven and we're going to him. Humanity can stand before God and enjoy that which it was created for. And we know today we've heard in our worship service his call to us to come to him. He called us to himself today, and he promises that we will finally be with him in the heavenly kingdom, in the world to come. And so when we're in these mundane moments where we're signing loans, we're Buying cars, we're buying houses, we're negotiating a contract. We've got a few lawyers here. They work on these things all the time. We know that this ordinary ordinary work is part of our lives. It's part of our stories that are caught up in God's story as his people. And we know that we're not the center of that, that God is, that we're going to him, that he's called us to him. And finally, he'll be with us in grace. If you'll join me in prayer. Almighty and most merciful God, we thank you for your gospel promise. We thank you that you have broken into our normal lives, that you do not just save extraordinary people, that you save ordinary people, that you use ordinary things Words, books, water, wine, and bread to grow us, to strengthen our faith, to change hearts. We thank you for the miracle that you sent your Son into this ordinary world so that we might be with you, that we might hear his call as his sheep. We pray today for contentment in our own lives and our own callings. We ask as we struggle. As we go through loss, as we look forward to joys, that your spirit would be with us through your word, through your church. We look forward to those joys, and we pray that they would just be a small foretaste of the joy which you hold out for us. We pray that we would come to you in your presence in eternity to come. You would wipe away tears, that you would place us where we were created to be. And as we look forward, we ask that you would strengthen our faith today by your word, by your spirit, by your heavenly table. We pray all of this in the name of Christ and by his spirit. Amen.